Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. So Jimmy, good to be here with you. As we dive in today, we made a promise last time we'd we'd really get big picture high level here, um, which I can't think of having more rewarding conversations than with you about this. The way that you and I volley and expand vision and value. So uh, let's let's blow some things up in a good way yeah, today. Let's talk about how we build the dream team, part two. Yeah. Part two. So, you know, I'm curious to ask this question to you, and I, I wish people could know this. Like, none of this is planned. You don't know this question's coming. Um, we, we have a flow that we step into, and we have riverbanks, but we let the water take us. Um, what for you, because you've shared on the podcast before about your transformation into understanding this healthy journey that you're on as an individual. Um you know, going from sales as conquering and winning to sales as a servant leader. What was the next, you know, awakening? What what kind of expanded your passion to build healthy cultures and to, to value healthy cultures? So that's not just the individual, right? That's the, the whole picture. Uh, just curious about that. Was that reflection, experience, combination? Yeah, it's... It's a great question. Uh, I could I could answer it a number of different ways, right? So, when I, the first fifteen years of my career, I was as independent of a contributor as you could possibly get. Every human mm-hmm. being around me was a stepping stone to my success, and all that mattered was the uh, life changing exit for the company that I was uh, a part of. And I never made the connection between that life changing exit and the multiplier effect of having all those individuals, all those people actually working together instead of all those people, all those individuals actually coming to work every day only thinking about themselves. Um, And I was part of that. The only thing that connected me to reality was my family. You know, I was at the time raising um, a five-year-old. Well, she was five-year-old at the time of my my wake-up call and I and I was uh, expecting a newborn and so I knew the kind of father I wanted to be and so my the way that I showed up at work was directly opposed to the way I showed up at home and I knew what I wanted for my kids I wanted my kids to um, be contributors to the world to be highly functional to be I was raising two girls as it turns out to be leaders in this world you know when somebody would joke with me about having two girls. Um, you know, the, the, the standard joke is get your shotgun, right? Because the boys are going to be calling. And and my answer, <laughs> you know, I actually thought about what my answer to that would be. And I said, look, my job isn't to have the shotgun. It's their job 
to carry the shotgun. So I want to I want to raise my girls to make the decisions they need to make when they're in the moment, not wait for me to come in and kind of swoop in because I could never always I couldn't be there all the time. Right. So it was this idea that I was raising leaders that then connected me back to the workforce and said and it and it really showed me there was no difference in what I wanted for, between what I wanted for my family and what I uh, could want and get for the people I worked with every day. And then when I realized that, I could see the potential become being unleashed in whatever I built. And at the time, I had started this company, so I was able to communicate that message to my clients and actually help my clients achieve their growth goals simply by paying attention to, um, as, as leaders, the kind of culture that they created. Was it a culture of fear or was it a culture um, that empowered people, et cetera? And of course, that was spurred on by books that, and lots of, le- you know, education and learning that came during that time as well. Yeah, dude, that's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. You're, you were taking me back to the kitchen a couple of nights ago. Cause I, my daughter was talking about a friend situation she was in and I was like, what, what would you do if you were in that spot? And mm-hmm. she goes, well, I wouldn't be, cause I wouldn't let a guy do that to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> um, they they carry the gun, you know. That's awesome, yeah. dude. I, what you you have such a way of flipping things in a in a in a fun, beautiful way. That's powerful. Um, yeah, for me, it it was like I was waking up to the power of leadership because I was in a public leadership role, literally age twenty one. I'm listening to this book on tape, John Maxwell, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like like yeah, I'm I'm learning because I'm I'm making so many mistakes. And I mean, just tons <laughs> and, uh, and that fertile, like heart and mind was just there towards leadership really for like another eight or nine years. So like you were talking about books and stuff, but what really, th- there were two, um, two clear demarcation lines. One was I went to work for an environment that I would classify as unhealthy and I'd always, you know, most of my work life, I've always been my own boss and, uh, so I was able just to see it. Like, it's just like, look how this affects people. Look how it disempowers them. Look how it deflates them. Look how it disillusions them. What would it be like if you did that different? And and so I'm waking up to all that potential, getting a clear kind of like demarcation line there. Um, and And I would say this. I was trying to engineer a healthy culture and doing it fairly well based on the feedback people were giving me team members, direct reports that were saying, you know, you're really keeping this place from flying apart, direct words. So, but it wasn't in me yet. So, you know, you kind of had the internal awakening and then it transferred to the external. Um, Mine was kind of a little bit the opposite in the sense of like seeing the power of the external, how important the culture is. And then for me, a story I've shared a little bit on the podcast, but just this idea when we faced a real significant leadership business crisis that affected our family and, you know, eviction notice and all this stuff 14 years ago, a paradigm showed up for me, a leader who's secure in who they are, you know, they have nothing to prove or hide, will overflow to a clear mission. They know how to show up in their roles and that will attract and build a healthy community because they know who they are, their relationships, whether they're work or professional or whatever, personal, all that. 
So that paradigm showed yeah, was, up. Go ahead. I like no, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I love the paradigm, and I think I was talking with a with a client today, and um, a uh, phrase came to me. Uh, this idea of you know another way of saying what you said to me to me is this idea of building deeper, authentic connections, right? Yeah. So before you can build a deeper, more authentic connection with a with a coworker, you have to build that with yourself. And so yeah. it, it sounds like what we're so we're both saying is that, and, and just like me as as one of the leaders of my family, somebody cer- certainly had influence over how my family and my family's culture would develop. I had to get my shit together. If I wanted the family to live up to the vision that I had, right, for us all, same thing with leadership. And so if we're, if we're thinking about this idea of a dream team, and I, and I know that not everybody wants a dream team, but if, if a leader has a vision uh, and they're complaining about the fact that, you know, my dad used to have this, uh, this is, you know, back in the 70s, he had this saying, he had a ton of sayings. Uh, it's hard to soar with the eagles when you work with turkeys. You know that was one of the things that resonated <laughs> I've with me. Heard so, that. like when you, right when you when you're complaining about work and the people at work, and you you resort to this idea of pointing fingers, right? Um, how often do we look in the mirror and ask ourselves whether we're a leader or not, whether we're just one of the gang or whatever? How much of how this organization operates is due to the way I approach work right and so if everybody did that I mean if everybody had this idea that it was in their best interest to build deeper more authentic connections with themselves so they could do the same with others what could that mean and then to your point would that would that deliver us the team that we're looking for or at least set us on the path yeah yeah well you know and and this is what we promised. We said we get this big idea. The the dream team is a vehicle to a high trust, high performing culture. But the foundation of that is who the leader is. And so even if the team helps build and enable the vision and make it clear and more powerful and expands it, there still has to be a leader with a vision that's bringing something to a team. And that starts with, with, you know, the person listening to this, if you're in that leadership role, CEO, owner, sales team leader, whatever, if you complain about the culture and you've been in the main leadership position for three to five years or more, you are pointing at yourself in the mirror. And, and that's not to shame you or beat you up. But like starting there and accepting that reality is what's going to empower you to actually transform it. Um, and right. so it's, right. it's, you know, it's been something that I've heard a lot over the years from leaders where they say these little comments about their culture. And, I'm, you know, it starts, starts in the mirror, man. All right. well, day I mean, so that's, long. And it makes a lot of sense, Chris. But I mean, you know, for somebody who can recognize the challenges or at least that their culture isn't supporting the vision that the that the leader has for the organization. You know, what what do they do about it? I mean, the, the reason I, I mean, I remember just think back to the way I was. The reason I complained about stuff is I didn't know what the hell to do about it. I mean, I was I'm an action-oriented yeah. person. I'm smart, built a company, you know, all that stuff. But still, when I recognize the challenges, 
uh, I didn't have the tools to lay out the plan. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how do I even know where to go for help? How do I even know what the next yeah. step is? What's the right process? And if I go to the internet and try to find some partners to help me out, how do I evaluate whether they know, they know what the hell they're talking about? And how do I evaluate whether or not their approach to, you know, re-transforming a culture is the one that's ideal for my organization? I mean, it seems like there's a ton of questions that somebody could have uh, right now, yeah. just based on the fact that you said, look, it's not the finger, it's the thumb, you know, mm. it's about mm -hmm. you. You know, I, for me, and and this is something that could get super deep and nerdy. And so I love our yin yang because I think you're going to enhance what I say and take it to a, a place that it needs to go. But I would start here. Look at what is timeless, not trendy. So sociological studies, I mean, numbers of them over the years have been debunked. Some of the biggest ones, Stanford Prison Experiment, Marshmallow Test, you know, a lot of these things, they found flaws in what was happening in the tests. So I like to look at like how have people transformed things in human history. Well, there's a pattern and the pattern is this. There is a leader who has a vision and they know who they are and they do not have to have that vision happen so that they can be whole or loved or feel accomplished. You know, um, it's the end of, I'm going to ruin a show. If you, if you're watching Breaking Bad, hit fast forward for 30 seconds. Cause I'm about to tell you about an end scene on it. <laughs> Um, amazing show. And, it, but at the end, the last episode, he's having this last fight with his wife. Of course, they've separated and, uh, this before he goes out in a, a blaze of glory, but you know, he's been saying it over and over. I did it for the family. I did it for the family. And she's like, I don't remember the lines now. I used to know it as be more powerful. I did, but she's like, don't say that. Right. You know, and, and he's finally honest. He goes, I did it for me. Right. He did it because he felt this lethargy and despair from a wasted middle-class life because he was not fascinated with the mission and calling of his family, of the impact he could have on his students. It wasn't enough. And so, so what happens first and foremost is how have people transformed things throughout human history? They, they are obsessed with a vision, okay? And they go all in on it. And they build people around that vision. And you can do destructive, dangerous things. And that's exactly what Hitler did. Obsessed vision and built a community around it. What we're offering is a different paradigm that just says this. Also throughout human history, the leaders that have gotten good things done had a vision they were obsessed with. But that vision wasn't an extension of the insecurities of their ego. Instead, possessing wholeness within already, out of that security, they had a mission and a vision that they were all in on, and they built relationships around that mission. And so what I would look for when I'm evaluating, can someone help me dial in and build an amazing culture where we have a blast, high trust, high performance, both of those. We have fun, the relationships are quality, and we get it done. Because I want to be a part of a championship, world-changing thing, and I want to have fun. I want to get where I want to go and enjoy getting there. I'm going to evaluate this. Do they have a model 
or a paradigm that they can guide me through that pays attention to the thing that everybody skips over, and that's the individual health of the leader, the person that has the vision. Because if they're healthy, you know, then out of that, and yes, they're going to need to work on skills, but they're just going to communicate in a way that builds relationships and that develops clarity and accountability. You know, when in doubt, what would a healthy mom or dad do? Like, that's almost the easiest way to ask, what should I do next in building a healthy culture? Hmm. Hmm. Dude, sorry. Yeah, I got well, too you know, a lot up. of moms and dads. Well, I know I dig because, you know, <laughs> that, that whole thing about insecurity is, is on board. And I think what you mean is, you know, am I, am I giving money to charity to impress my neighbors? Uh, or because um, I believe it's the right thing to do. Am, am I allowing folks to, to promote the fact that I did that to feed my ego, to be seen as somebody that's, that's altruistic and to oppress my neighbors? Or am I allowing them to use my name and let them people know that I did that to encourage others to do the same? You know, so it comes down to this why, right? Is the why to feed um, something that is going to develop me or something that is just going to tear me down, going to develop my relationships or compromise my relationships? Am I doing this to feed that external locus of being? In other words, I get my self-worth from what people think of me, from how they judge me, or am I doing it to, to feed to what you said, this purpose or desire or vision that I have um, that is all is all about me who i am what i think is important for me not um not something that i'm doing to to your point feed an insecurity to prove something or to hide from something yeah you know uh i'm thinking of a real practical example that is just from our lives this week you know we've given to a gofundme before and you can keep anonymous on that and we have and but it recently, um, you know, my wife, one of her high school friends passed away and the husband set up a GoFundMe page and she was, you know, my wife was like, should we, you know, be anonymous or not? I was like, no, no, don't be anonymous because like, that's your friend. You want them to know you participated, right? To feel that love um, and that support. And so, yeah, it comes down to motive. The action could be the same, right? you know but you're aware of the motive or the action could be different and it just comes down to this is the leader trying to get something from the mission more than they're trying to give to it gotcha. if i if i'm trying to get something from the mission performance validation success a meaning that makes me feel whole some kind of escape from my own internal pain into adventure some kind of belonging some kind of being integral and dependent on you know whatever these psychological drivers if if i'm at least 51 percent you know and and for chris i know mine it would be do people approve of what i'm doing you know do they think i'm awesome if most of what i'm doing at least 51 percent is showing up to get that comforted or spoke to or scratched or whatever then i'm not going to build a healthy culture because i am doing it for what i can get not what I give. Right. I think uh, what's really powerful, I think, about this, too, is when we think about culture, what does culture depend upon, right? I mean, culture 
includes the leaders, people, systems, it includes everything that goes into putting that organization together. Uh, and I can just, I'm just thinking about the process of recruiting and hiring people, right? So, uh, it, you know, if, if I believe that what motivates people is money, then uh, I'm gonna build a job description and a compensation plan, let's think about sales, that is focused on money. And maybe I even go so far as building a comp plan that is great for the salesperson, but counter but counterproductive to the organization. In other words, I'm incentivizing behavior on the salespeople from the salespeople that doesn't support my my customer centric brand or the vision that I have for the for the organization. Now I think I think people can get stuck here, right? I can I can be the kind of person you ta you're talking about, Chris. I want to give more than I get, but I can also make the mistake of building a comp plan, a job description, or hiring people or incentivizing people in a way that is counterproductive or counterintuitive to what I want to achieve. And so I can get myself in trouble. So I feel like you start with a healthy leader, but you've got to support that leader with the awareness of systems that they're going to need mm -hmm. to actually execute uh, in, a, in a functional way. So they don't dig themselves yeah. into a hole that actually works against them. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you brought that out. Because I think for me, what I watch, three specific markers. Because culture isn't what it was yesterday. It's whatever it is today. we got to accept it. And you could be sad, mad, or glad about any part of your culture. But you got to own it is what it is right now. And if I do that, then I'm looking at three specific markers. One, do the vision, values, and strategy. So, so overall direction, the values of how we're going to get there, and, and you know, the shorter-term markers. Um, do they burn hot in the team's heart? Are they passionate about it? No, they don't have to be passionate about it in the same way that I am. So at this point, we want to have awareness of extroverted sensing, introverted feeling, you know, all the different ways that people show up. I might be a little bit more expressive. So people don't have to be expressive. But I mean, if I'm not there, because the values are really how you multiply yourself, are they choosing of their own volition what it means for us to be together? The vision, values, and strategy. So that's a marker that I'm looking for. Um, you know, are, are they coming back to the values and decision making? Um, are they extending and furthering the values, championing them? You know, all these kind of things. Second marker I'm going to look for is this: the quality of the relationships. Are things being worked out? Are we are, are we having healthy conflict, or is it more hallway conversations that get a little bit more done politically than honest truth in the meeting? Um, is there, is there something you're complaining about at home that you're not talking about because you feel like bringing that up could bring a political target on your back? Uh, you know, I'm looking for a non-forced unity, that we're unified, but this isn't forced. We can even disagree. You know, you and I can disagree and we can leave the room but still support the direction we've agreed upon. Um, and then the third marker is this. The systems. This is just what you're saying, leaders, people, systems. Are we innovating? Are we improving? We're not changing just to change, healthy change management practices, but we've never found the best way to do anything. And so we need to find things that we lock in on and test and analyze 
and stay with them and consistency. But then we also need to be open that things change and new systems emerge and we want to adapt, improve and upgrade. So for me, if there is, if there is this presence and, and, and there are lots of ways you can define culture and I get that. This for me is the best way that I've found to measure an effective culture. But again, these are all lagging indicators of the leading indicator that you've got a healthy leader and a dialed in team. Right. So um, I think one of the things I was talking about earlier was this idea of, of bringing people into the team and the risk of bringing people into the team that aren't aligned with that healthy leader and what that can do. Mm. Uh, how do you, you know, how does a leader Again, you know, how do you hire somebody who is who has a who has a, a sense of themselves that recognizes this idea to give more than they get, but more importantly, you know, doesn't carry the insecurity with them that will challenge them in the midst of my culture? Um, I think I think I have, I have some ideas about this, but I mean, it's got to be a challenge that you face as you've delivered this to small and large organizations. Yeah, the first thing is game recognizes game, as they say. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you are living more and more free, no one is perfectly free. It's an ever-going, ever-growing evolution. If you are more and more free of your own BS, of proving and hiding, you know, you're not trying to convince people of things, you're not avoiding insecurities, you're using your, and everybody has them, insecurities and transforming them into your personal growth you will recognize in others more often than not when they are proving or hiding and not in a way to get power over them or threaten them but in a way that you know you're living in a in a healthy place to connect relationally and you can connect with them even in a 30-minute interview i think two you've got you've got to work with people before you work with them so you find ways to connect and get to know and relational and all the hiring practices here. But I want to know, have, have they faced brokenness? Did they become bitter or better through it? Mm. And the third thing, and I'm totally jacked about this, and this is something we talk about a lot, is now we have tools to measure right. exactly what is that uh, what is that insecurity? Where does it show up? How often does it show up? And let's have an open conversation about it. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's do that. We don't talk a lot about um, our tools and things um, on the program, um, but I think this is really instructive because there is nothing like this out there in the marketplace today. And I say that having used every assessment or measurement tool on the market for the last thirty years, uh, and uh, the reason it's 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 timely for me as I've just gone through a program using this tool uh, called the the uh, Identity Fear Quotient, the IFQ, and I've used this uh, tool to help a client, a leader, not just recognize the fact that the way they behave isn't functional, right? That's We can draw attention to that. But the question is why? Because yeah. if you don't know why they behave that way, then you can't fix it. And... And guess what, gang? It's not personality isn't the why. <laughs> personality is a symptom of the why, right? Characteristics of our personality um, are exposed because of 
the core identity fear or insecurity that defines us. Um, and I just love it if you could talk more about that and maybe give me a sense as to why it was such a powerful tool in the context of this relationship that I had with this, uh, this leader. Yeah. Awesome. And I, and I love the connection because it's, it's all about that. Why 21 year and a half marriage, we were at a stuck point in 2007 and eight and I was reading marriage books, Jimmy, and they would always say, never say never or always. I'm like, okay, I get that that's not functional behavior, but like you're saying, why am I doing it? <laughs> and the same thing with, with leadership practices and skills. And so it's, it's root and fruit. Fruit is the behavior. Root is the narrative in your mind, why that behavior occurs. And so what we did was notice a pattern of nine fears that leaders have, um, and you, you have a dominant fear, and that dominant fear is coloring the narrative in your mind. It sets up, and, and this is some language that we've been playing with for years, but man, and, and I already told you this, but you shared some stuff earlier this week on limiting beliefs that was like the most dialed-in expression of that. Uh, so what the IFQ does is measure what's that core identity fear and then here's the key. Where is it showing up? Is it showing up in you trying to live with an exaggerated sense of who you are? Because they're going to find out, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm an imposter. I don't fit in. They're not going to think I'm awesome. I'm not going to be depended upon. I'm not going to get love. You know, whatever. All these things are. We've got nine of them. We spe specifically define them. Or are you more about diminishing who you are? You... You self-doubt, self-criticize, self-sabotage to the point that you're not living in the truth of who you are. So that's why we say you relax into your brilliance. What the IFQ does is measures this identity fear, measures this proving or hiding, and then it measures where is that showing up more? In your relationships or in your work objectives, achievements, your mission, if you will. And once you get this composite picture... We can thread all that through and with accuracy and precision go, this is where when you're stressed, your behavior breaks down. And we can predict that along those lines, this will continue to get worse. And it really gives this stark picture of, ah, that is the path I'm on. Very powerful. Right. And I think it's worth noting here, Chris. Because if you that, see the you path, know, we, you change. We really... Right, right. And, and we work with high performers. I mean, we work with business owners, executives, um, physicians. I mean, it, it runs the gamut. And everyone we work with has ambition and capability and the ability to realize the vision and dreams that they have in front of them. But every one of them, like all of us, <laughs> has hit a ceiling. Right? There's a level beyond which what got them to where they are can't get them to where they want to go. And so the question really is, it's not, it's not about why can't I succeed? It's, it's about what's holding me back, at least, at least in my experience. right? So what's holding me back or what is creating friction, enough friction in my life that it's making the next level, the next step really challenging, really difficult or harder than it should be. And so this level of insight... Mm. It's, it's a level of insight that 
a high performer, man, they, you can grab onto it and you can do something with it immediately. But it just it just requires that awareness. It just requires a, all you need, you just need to know that it's there. Yeah. Because once you do see it, I love that you're drawing this out, the, the brain will immediately organize healthy behavior around the insight. The insight produces the healthy behavior because the brain sees it and goes, Whoosh, all right, I was doing that because I felt this. I'm relaxed about it now. And I couldn't believe how patient I was in a process recently. I couldn't believe how clear I was with the problem rather than covering up out of insecurity. I couldn't believe how courageously I walked into that conflict and did not say passive aggressive things or try to manipulate. I couldn't believe how I honored that person's boundary and deferred to their power to empower them. And, you know, I can keep painting these scenarios forever and ever and ever because these are all the iterations of healthy behavior that come out of the insight. And that's, that's, that's the stuff, man. You, you, you can't unsee what is a moment of revelation or insight or growth. Um, and our lives have been changed by those. And very few people are living off of a handful of moments of insight when you can learn how to have them continually. Right, right, right. Well, I, I'm definitely one of those one of those people. Um, so, so when uh, so I think the extending the power of the IFQ and this insight, uh, when if somebody has a team that that they've built. Everyone on the team is high functioning. Everyone, none, none of the people on the team are would be easy to get rid of or replace. Yet the team is not functioning at its highest level. And whether I know it because I've measured it or know it because I can feel it, um, there's a desire to to get to that next level. But with the people that I have, so I guess the question back to you is, you know, a personality test or a personality measurement tool will allow me to figure out how to communicate potentially with a team member uh, or recognize why something another team member does gets me riled up. <laughs> but um, it doesn't give me insight like we've been talking about as to the root cause, the why behind all that. Um, so yeah, personality can, can help at a, at a superficial level, communication level. At this deeper level of insecurity, are these things that we can actually change? I mean, are these things that once we know who we are at that deeper level, um, is it truly something? Is it truly adaptive or something that I can adapt to the environment that I'm in and move beyond? Or are these things that are hard-coded in my DNA that will never change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you're articulating this wonderful because... And it's going to sound like I'm saying something negative about personality tests. They can be helpful at the beginning, but they're harmful if you don't move beyond it. Because exactly what you're saying, the personality test goes, well, this is who you are. Yep, that's who I am. Okay, wonderful. Great insight. But how are we going to get beyond that? How are we going to see ourselves transformed? How are we going to see ourselves, to use the word you just used, adaptive? Every leader that's in any position of significant responsibility has to be adaptive. You know, we classified some of these adaptations. You need to be able to match emotions. You need to be able to give direction. You need to be able to create space with questions and stories. I mean, you're moving in and out of adaptive responses continually 
to take people where you need them to go. Um, and, and that's what a healthy leader does. A healthy mom or dad does that. I mean, if my kids come to me and, you know, need something from me and, and I need to think about the best way to get to the desired outcome, I'm not saying to them, well, this is who I am. You just got to deal with it. So a personality helps the beginning it harms if you don't separate the elements out. So personality conflates what we're separating out. We're separating out the adaptive part of who you are to what it means to change the narrative in your mind that your baseline, whenever you feel insecure, becomes a moment actually of felt security, comfort, peace, relaxed. And that relaxed state allows you to be effective. Got it. So this is something my entire team can become aware of. Then they can learn how to adapt and adopt. And it's not just about communicating more effectively or understanding people. Because at the end of the day, you know, what good really is that if I don't have a personality assessment on everyone that I meet, right? Um, it's deeper than that. It's how do I show up as that person who is free from the burden of an insecurity Yes. Coloring the way that I take in information and process information, coloring the decisions I make and the actions I take, and then kind of freeing me up and releasing me to overachieve, to hit those higher levels of performance that I'm looking for. So it's really about you know unshackling or kind of freeing me from those um, those bonds of um, the, caused by the insecurities that are going on. <laughs> And, and coloring my coloring my personality, coloring how I show up without me knowing it, without me really yeah. recognizing it. Absolutely. Think about training someone in sales. And I know we'll have to wrap here in a second. So but just give you this analogy. But if you think about somebody you're training in sales, you wouldn't tell them, hey, at minute 102, you need to wave your hands in the air in this conversation about the solution that you offer. And at minute 317, furrow your eyebrows. And, you know, because, and you've seen people, I, we've talked about this before, where they're training a large group of people at a corporation in some kind of sales thing, and they're training them on body language, and they look like a bunch of weird robot cult people um, because it's not natural and organic. And yet this happens all the time in organizations here's unhealthy communication. Right. Here's healthy communication. Don't do unhealthy, do healthy. Much, much more effective to take that salesperson, help them relax internally so that their body movements become natural to a healthy presentation. Now, you can still highlight things. And the same thing with leader, leaders. Yeah. Healthy communication practices are the fruit. They come out of a healthy root right. of who you are. Well, it sounds like you know, you've just opened up a whole other kind of risk factor here, but this idea that within a lot of organizations, sales organizations especially, the way the leader shows up and the way the leader holds the team accountable. You know, so for example, if I if I teach you, if I treat you well when you hit your number and I treat you poorly when you don't hit your number, then I am, you know, I'm creating that Pavlovian response, right? And so I'm now training you to have your self-worth attached to how I feel about you and your level of performance. And so if I, as your leader, train you to be that way, 
and then I send you out into the world to sell, you're actually going to look at every customer in the same way. And you're going to, I'm going to have built into you an insecurity that causes you as a salesperson to seek the approval now of your customer. So now you can't go out and lead your customer to change. You have to just, you are compelled now to do whatever that customer wants from you. So you've now become an order taker, not an order maker. You've now diminished your value that you bring to the table. You're no longer curious and innovative. You're just, yes, sir, no, sir. What else can I do for you, sir? And you become even less effective. And then when you go back to the office, <laughs> because you haven't your number, you get more of the same from your boss and it's a horrible downward spiral. So I do notice this in organizations. Organizations, by virtue of the culture that they have and the rules that, the unspoken rules or spoken rules that they have that trickle down from leader to team member actually can create even more dysfunction, more insecurity in the organization. Yeah, it's beautiful. At best, they're going to repeat the dysfunctional behavior. At worst, they're going to take it even further. They go further. Yeah, it gets worse and worse mm-hmm. over time until five. someone says, hey, we got to change things. We're going to go through a transformation. Let's get rid of all these messed up folks and let's start over again. But really, at the end of the day, um, unless, you cha- unless everybody gets trained on and is educated on the power of these uh, unmet insecurities and in influencing how they behave, then they're just going to repeat the same issues over and over again. You can change the people, Bingo. but if the culture doesn't shift and the expectations don't shift, you're just going to be reinforcing these dysfunctions on new brains, on new minds, on new bodies. And you will not win. Yeah, you'll just continue to lose. And I know you're all about helping people <laughs> win. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is all, this is really powerful. Um, I think we'll wrap for sure. I think next time, one of the things I'd like to do is I'd like to, I'd like to go deeper into, um, you know, how we take this new mindset and then how do we deploy it to, uh, you know, to, to deliver that dream team. Let's, let's talk about more, those more functional ways to make, to get to that. Beautiful. Looking forward to Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.